I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Quit Your Day Job. I am Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. Am I wearing sweatpants while I record this? You will never know. This podcast is all about dream jobs, the ones you wished you had when you were a kid and the ones you pin up on your vision board. I decided to chase after my dream jobs in 2020 by taking unpaid internships at four of them. I quit my job as CEO of a philanthropy consulting business to try my hand working on Broadway, in fitness, as an art dealer, and at a hotel. And then I wrote a book about my experience, which will be out in 2023. I am psyched to share my story with you, but in the meantime, I'm bringing you a few others, real people who work really cool jobs. So before you quit your day job to go be a painter or an actress or a life coach, listen in and see what it's really like behind the scenes. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Quit Your Day Job. And y'all, today we have a treat for you. The cork dork herself is here. Bianca Bosker is an award-winning journalist and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Cork Dork. I'm going to try not to spend this whole podcast talking about how much I love that book, but I really, really love that book. She Thank is you. a... Con- I mean... Like I don't, I don't even have a copy here because I've given all of my copies to other people <laughs> who come to my house, and I'm like, oh my god, we're drinking wine. You need to read this book. <laughs> but uh, Bianca does so many other things. She's a contributing writer at the Atlantic and has written for publications such as the New Yorker, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Food and Wine, and the New Republic. She's reported on witches, dinosaurs, supermarkets, sommeliers, and noise, among other topics. And her writing has been anthologized in the Best American Travel Writing, as well as recognized with awards from the New York Press Club, International Association of Culinary Professionals, the Society of Professional Journalists, and the Society of American Business Editors and Writers. Phew! That is a beautiful bio. <laughs> just going to bring you everywhere and just have you be like, this is Bianca. And then be start your hype the whole girl. Spiel. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I'll be your hype girl. So welcome to the podcast, Bianca. I'm so Thank glad you. you're Thank here. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for helping to share so many people's fascinating journeys. It's been a delight to listen to, you know, all of the guests that you've had on. I'm just so, so excited to have you on. And so as you know, we're going to start out with your first sip, your first taste. This is going to be your top five. So I was doing a little bit of research about you before this call, and you have been described as someone who is obsessed with obsession. So I thought a good top five to do was the top five things you are obsessed with right now. So... I am obsessed with obsession. That That is kind of what led me. I mean, that sort of just is the guiding principle for my life. And I was actually going to look at, so I always keep a sort of list of like running sort of, I wouldn't even call them story ideas, but they're kind of like little glimmers of like obsessions, you know, like, like, like maybe, I don't know, mini, they're not quite fully grown obsessions, but they're like the, just the spark of one. Mm. So in my phone, because I feel like, I guess my story 
generation process is flypaper is probably the best you know <laughs> metaphor that I could use. So I was actually going to look at what I'd written down recently. Amazing. So let's see. I have written down land reclamation. I came across actually, yeah, a guy that talked about the idea of like, we should, the way to solve the housing crisis in Manhattan is just to build more of it, but like a lot more of it, which I thought was really interesting. So I was curious to like look more into that. Formula, baby formula. Yeah. Not only because of the shortage, but also just like, I think that the whole like milk is something I've been very obsessed with recently. Like also, I mean, why are we suddenly in this moment we are obsessed with fake milk? I find really interesting. And we can, you can, you can yell at me for calling it fake milk, but I mean, almonds do not have nipples, you know? And so I- <laughs> They look kind of like nipples, but you're right. They do. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, I find that like the, we're in a very interesting milk moment right now. And like the history, like what did people like feed babies before, you know, if you like can't breastfeed or something? Plutonium- it's also oh. down here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and and yeah, nightmares. So, but you know, I think I don't know if those are five things. Was I supposed to say yeah, five was, things? Yeah, I, I think going. that was five. But maybe give me a couple more because I'm loving this list. Yeah, I mean, I think that like I wrote something down here that said post plastic surgery dot dot question mark <laughs> wildfire chasers turbulence turbulence is like a long running obsession of mine that I've been trying to figure out how to sexily incorporate into a story, but you know it actually turns out to be this really difficult problem and we don't really know how it works. Like the mm. turbulence and, and turbulence can be the milk that you've put into your coffee when you get those sort of swirling eddies. And it could be the thing that makes you almost vomit in your plane seat and yeah. we don't fully understand it. So th that's kind of a mystery that I find really intriguing, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm also, I'm, you know, I, I'm obsessed with, I'm working on, a, you know, as you know, a book about art right now that I'm also obsessed with. And, you know, it's the sort of thing where if I'm up at three in the morning, like I will occasionally send myself text message ideas for like how to rephrase that sentence or, you know, how to maybe a better way of like setting up the introduction. But, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that like obsessions make life exciting and, and you can be, you can have one singular one. Oh, shipping, like shipping container ships. I have long <laughs> been obsessed with container ships. I mean, don't even get me started. I will take up the entire time. So yes. That'll be V2 of this podcast. We'll hear all about shipping containers. You could yeah. ride on one maybe and then like I would see love what that's to. Like. There's a book called 90% of Everything, actually, that's about container ships. And the author does go and do that. But I I like it didn't cure my obsession. It just made me more interested. Oh my God. I love it. That is such a unique top 10, 12. And I totally hear you. I have <laughs> yes, just yesterday I was going through my old voice notes to try to clean some of them out. And I have, I would do the same thing as you, but instead of writing something down, I'll be like walking and I'll just be on my phone and I'll be like, look into cupcakes. And then that's it. Like that was yeah. the voice note from like 2013. And I'm like, what, <laughs> what, would, what did I want to know about cupcakes in 2013? Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's fair to say I always want to know about cupcakes. But thank you for that list. It was completely fascinating, as are yeah. you. You know, you have so many passions and your pursuit of them is definitely something that inspired me on my internship journey. And I feel like your bio and even your top list didn't even cover the half of them. But what makes you unique is that you've pursued a lot of those passions in different ways. And you've kind of made a career of being someone who can explore these things and write about them. So let's like back up to the beginning, start with the basics. Tell me a little bit about the path that took you to where you are today. 
So once upon a time, there was a little Bianca. Yeah, I was an only child, so I spent a lot of time doing one-player activities. So reading, drawing, painting. And growing up, I think, you know, I, I don't remember having one really, really clear goal in mind. I wasn't like, I must be a firefighter. But although that isn't an obsession of mine, but, <laughs> but maybe it came later. There was a time where I thought about applying to art school and I did love art, you know, which has now continued to be an interest of mine. But I ended up going to, you know, more traditional liberal arts university. And yeah, I studied East Asian, East Asian studies major. So I learned Chinese and spent a lot of time doing writing when I was in college. I was part of a student group where we uh, actually got to pitch and work with local publications. So we got paid for our writing. We got to work with professional editors. We got a lot of mentorship from the older students in the group. And that was great. I mean, it was really like just learning how to crank out a news story. I got maybe brainwashed, I would say, I'm not sure, um, into pursuing a, uh, a career as a management consultant for a bit after I graduated. And, you know, for good reasons. I think I, I was really curious to get into this other world, to learn how to think in a different way, to figure out what exactly you do with numbers, let's say. I also wanted health insurance. I wanted a paycheck. And <laughs> I ended up quickly discovering that that was not for me. And so I did quit that day job and got a job working at the Huffington Post, where I helped launch their tech section. And I was there for a number of years reporting on tech, uh, editing our tech section, and then I discovered the world of cork dorks and life has never been the same. Basically, I, at that point, as you can imagine for a tech editor, was spending a lot of time sitting at screens, writing about things that happened on screens and this world of hyper obsessed sommeliers just drew me in with their I mean, the way that they just rearranged their life around their senses. And it made me realize that I was living this life of sensory deprivation and I could perhaps be living this life of sensory cultivation. And so I, yeah, left my job and started training to become a sommelier and drinking very heavily, as you might expect. <laughs> and so, yeah, every parent's dream, really. And uh, yeah, so that journey turned into my book, Cork Dork. And then, you know, at the same time after leaving HuffPost, I've, you know, ever since then been freelancing. So I contribute, you know, to podcasts. I, I am a contributing writer at The Atlantic. Um, I write for other publications. You said my bio, people heard it, you know. But yeah, and then I'm also working on this new book about art, about the wild, strange, sometimes terrifying, also glorious world of contemporary art. I think that's an amazing journey. And so catch me up a little bit between when Cork Dork finishes and you started working at Terroir, I think it was, in New York. Yeah. And you kind of moved your life into this wine world and you spent all this time like very deeply invested in it. And now you're kind of doing that with art, I think. So what catch me up with that like time in between the transition from wine to art. Was wine just always going to be a short-term thing or did you kind of follow a different interest path? No, you know, I think I get this question a lot because I am a very passionate generalist in my interests. And, you know, I, the first book that I published was about architectural mimicry in contemporary China, right? And what I call duplitecture, these massive 
community, I mean, you know, not just one building that looks like, you know, the Eiffel Tower, but like an entire community for thousands of people that is built to replicate Paris or Venice or ye old England, right? Anyway, so that was, you know, one, one book I wrote about. Then, you know, I wrote Cork Dork, which is about wine. Now I'm working on a book about art. And I do get a, a, this question a lot from people, which is like, so do you just, you know, so you're just like kind of moving on? And, and not at all. I mean, to me, I think of them almost like children. Like, just because you have a new child doesn't mean you stop raising the other child. <laughs> you know, like I, you know, ever since that book, Original Copies about Duplitector came out, I have been writing about, following, visiting these communities. Same thing with Cork Dork. You know, I still, you know, podcast about wine. I write about it. I certainly drink it. <laughs> I talk to people about it. You know, I lead tastings. Like it continues to be a huge part of my life. I mean, it was, it was a, it was really a life-changing journey for me. It was not, and you know, with art as well. I, I do think that with, with nonfiction, you know, I'm a nonfiction writer and a journalist. It is interesting. Like you don't know where these journeys will end, mm. right? Like you don't know where it's going to take you. I mean, I will tell you when I started you know, the journey to write Cork Dork, I had a lot of people sort of telling me, oh my God, you're going to be so sick of your subject by the end of it. <laughs> and honestly, by the end of it, I think I was more obsessed than the sommeliers who obsessed me with their obsession in the first place. You know, I mean, I, like God help you if you sat next to me at a dinner table and asked me about the wine, I would just talk your ear off about it. And so, you know, I think that these are, they're just, they're additive. I think each one is really, um, I think that they're complementary. I enjoy that process of getting to come into a, a, a new world with fresh eyes as well. Because I think it was my experience, at least when I was reporting on tech for a long time, that when you get really deep into a subject, of course, you get to know it in an incredible way and you have this rich body of knowledge, but sometimes you forget what's interesting to people who aren't as immersed in it as you are. Hmm. So I don't know. I, I feel like it keeps me fresh getting to do all these, these other things. And, and I keep raising these interests. They're a huge part of me. <laughs> I love it. And I think one thing that's so fantastic about your writing style is that you kind of, it's not exclusive. You really bring people into this world. Like they want to be obsessed with you with this thing that you are obsessed with because of the way that you're explaining it. So tell us a little bit about your new project and your life in the art world. Yeah. So, you know, art, so I had a different relationship with art than I did with wine. Wine was, I mean, you know, I knew, I couldn't have really have told you the difference between wine from a bottle and a box. Right. But art was different. Art was this, it had been a really big part of my life for a very long time. And at some point I, I just realized, you know, we were not only estranged, but Art and I were no longer on speaking terms, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> like something had really gone wrong. And, you know, I, I would sort of go to museums basically under duress. And at the same time, you know, as I started kind of forcing myself to get back into this world a little bit and start going to galleries, I became really fascinated by the people that I was meeting there, this way of looking at the world, you know, these people who were held like a vicious grudge against the color blue, right? <laughs> Artists who were very different, I think, from the stereotype like that, that we hear so much about. And so I became really intrigued to go deep into that world. And I became especially intrigued because people not only 
didn't want to talk to me, but basically tried to scare me off of the whole endeavor of poking <laughs> around. <laughs> I mean, you spent some time in the art world. I don't I know sure what your did. experience was, but but I look forward to reading about it in your book. But, you know, I think that nothing gets a journalist's interests like intimating that something is profoundly rotten to its core and then clamming up. <laughs> and that's basically what happened to me. You know, people were saying like, you know, it's not worth it for you living in New York. Like, like, you know, get out while you can basically. And so of course I decided that I needed to go as deep as I possibly could. And so this is a journey that took me, I, and I also, you know, have, yeah. So this is a journey that has evolved really immersing myself in this new world by working in it. So yeah. I ended up working with a number of different galleries selling, I think, I have to do the math, but maybe tens of thousands of dollars worth of art, working as a studio assistant for several artists, working as a museum security guard, and having a lot of intense adventures along the way. And in the process, it was it was another life-changing experience yeah. in its own way. So so yeah, I'm working on I'm working on that now and I'm excited to share it. I can't wait for that book. And yeah, it's funny. I think I, I feel like I had a guide in the art world because I was working with someone, Harry Blaine, who I'm still working with, who knew so many people and had a reputation, some good parts, some bad parts to it. So I was never kind of having to navigate things on my own. It was always under his wing, which made it different. So yeah, you can read all about it in my book, but I certainly, you know, I still have, I'm still working in the art world, you know, a couple days a week and still find it really fascinating. But I kind of like not doing it full time because it is cons all consuming, right? Like oh, yeah. it, it really is the kind of place where you can almost get a little bit lost in good ways and in less good ways. So I like having it as part of my portfolio of things that I get to work on and be interested in. But I can't wait to read your book as well. I'm so excited about that. So let's talk a little bit about your writing process because, you know, you do spend so much time. You, you We've already heard like so many of your amazing ideas. Flypaper, you said. So talk us through your process. Like you've got this idea, maybe it's shipping containers, maybe it's cupcakes, maybe it's who knows what it might be, formula. How do you sift through, how do you decide what's going to have legs and what you're going to actually pursue and turn into a story? Yeah. So, so you, for an article, you mean? Well, maybe for an article, but also like, you know, you've written now three books that are very in-depth, you know, how, I'd love to know how you kind of decide something has legs and then which direction you decide to take it. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would say starting with, you know, on the, the scale of, of an article, let's say, I think, you know, I, I am always fascinated by how people come up with their ideas. And so I would love to, 
that's the question that I always want to ask writers. And I wish I had some formulaic way, but, you know, because I'm writing, because I am interested in writing about so many different topics, I've found what seems to work for me is just sort of constantly, it's again, being flypaper, right? It's just constantly having the intention that I'm looking for things to write about. And they present themselves in really surprising places. It could be you know, at a dinner party. It could be something I overhear on the subway. It could be an old book that I come across. And that's why I found it really helpful to keep a running list of these things. And so when it comes time for me to pitch an editor, or when I have an idea that I am really excited about and I write up a pitch to send to an editor, you know, I I can kind of go back to this, this list. And so, you know, in terms of whether a story has legs or not, I mean, I am always really drawn to stories that seem narrow, but are actually about something much bigger, right? Like, I think that um, I wrote a story about witches, for example, and, you know, witches can feel like something maybe sort of esoteric. You know, it's, it's like most papers don't have like a witches section, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But, you know, when you look at the kind of witch renaissance that was happening, it spoke to so many different currents in our society, the sort of craving for analog sensory experiences driven by social media and technology, Mm. the sort of decline of perhaps the more traditional structure, you know, traditional religion and and a quest for a, a different sort of spirituality. And, So I always like to find those stories that can go really deep and take you into this new world while also illuminating the world that you live in. Mm -hmm. And then the story, you know, and I think with a book too, it's, of course, you, this is probably different if you have your own blog or if you self-published, but it is a real collaboration, right? Just because I'm obsessed with it doesn't mean that my editor will be obsessed with it. (laughs) And so it definitely, you know, the, the idea and you know, the idea is then I, I write up a pitch, I um, send it off. Hopefully I get the my editor as excited about it as I am. And then I would begin the process of reporting that story or, you know, wh- whatever it is, basically. I mean, uh, there's there's definitely reporting that goes into it in, in the front end as mm. well, like even to prepare that pitch so that you know what you're talking about. But at least so far, the, the sort of meat of the reporting happens afterwards. And do you often have like multiple things that you're pursuing at once or do you try to just pick one and go for it? Oh, no, no, no. I think it's great to have a lot of different balls in the air, especially, you know, as someone who uh, is, I love that freelancer is such like a nice word for like not steady job. (laughs) But, uh, but, But no, I think it's really important because the timelines are so, can be so varied and I think it also is just, you just never know, right? Like there's a story that you might be working on for longer than you realize just because it's going to take a while to find a time to meet with that person, mm. or it's going to take a really long time to get someone to say yes to letting you go to this place. I mean, and that there, a story is really a collaboration on that level as well. I mean, you know, I'm not writing about, I am, I do write sometimes about rocks, but like by and large, like I wrote a story about mass extinctions and, and what really killed the dinosaurs and the most the kind of nastiest feud in science about what killed the dinosaurs. And in that case, I was writing about rocks because I was with geologists, but I needed those geologists that I was with to say yes to having me along. Yeah. And so there's a real collaboration that goes on with the people that are willing to bring me into their world and share their knowledge. And so it can take a while to 
to find the right person to agree to let me tag along with them. So yeah, I think it's, it's great to have many projects at once. And so talk me through like an average day in your life. I know that things are a bit new for you now. You've got a new, new addition to your responsibility and workload, but what do you like, you know, tell, we, we were just talking about this before. What do you have for breakfast? How many cups of coffee do you have? Give me the whole day. <laughs> Yeah. So it depends a lot on where I am with the project. So if I'm in the process of reporting a story, right, I will wake up in the morning. I find that I am like freshest and sharpest in the morning. And, you know, it will, sometimes I'm interviewing people from my desk, but as much as possible, I really love going to meet and talk to people in person. And I hate, hate, having to ask people questions over email. Mm. Um, I just think that, you know, one thing leads to another. Like you never know what you're going to want to ask until you start talking to someone, Mm. at least in my experience. And so, yeah, I will start the day. I have uh, somehow theoretically weaned myself off of coffee, but Mm. I, you know, oftentimes like eat toast at my desk. So I get crumbs all over my keyboard and, (laughs) you know, maybe I'll start sending off emails to try and set up some interviews or meetings with people. And then, you know, if it's on the really fun days, I get to go out and I get to just talk to people, right. Get to see what they're doing. When I was, when I was researching Cork Dork, like I, or I should say, what's a good example? Like, you know, when I was doing research for my new book about art, like I'd wake up in the morning and go to work at the gallery, right? And I would, you know, be doing my job at the gallery while, you know, taking notes and observing and learning what was going on there. You know, for the story I did about dinosaurs and mass extinction, I got to go to India with a team of geologists. And so I was waking up in the morning, getting into the car with them and, driving for, you know, we'd be out for 12 hours a day easily. And I'd be, you know, recording, taking notes in my notebook, just trying to absorb all these details. And then, you know, once I have, I think of it kind of like cooking, right? Like you Mm -hmm. go to the supermarket, you get your ingredients, you bring them back, you see what you have, and you sit down and you, you make something hopefully delicious and nutritious. Yeah. (laughs) And so then, you know, then there's days where I wake up and I just start writing and, mostly rewriting. I mean, to me, writing, it really is rewriting. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I tend to do the best, my best work in the morning. And so I try and do as much of it, but you know, I'll keep going as long as I can. And like I said, sometimes the moment I'm just so frustrated with something, I get up, I'm going to go cook dinner. And it's about halfway through cooking dinner where I realize like, this is how I solve that paragraph. Mm, totally. Sometimes you just um, have to let your brain switch off for a little bit, I think, and yeah, then things yeah. will come to you. So yeah. I think a lot of people, I certainly have met a lot of people through my new writing journey who love writing. They are interested in potentially being freelance. They are scared of rejection, which is scary. And they wonder how they can really make a career out of it. And you have have had a, you know, successful career as a writer for big publications and publishing your own books. How do you deal with rejection? And, you know, what was was it always so easy to you? Were you just pitching these like fabulous ideas and, and all the it's editors were like, easy. yes, 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 I want to do everything. No, like, my God, do you get rejected? Do you get rejected? I can't Oh my gosh, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Oh, it's hard. Writing is so, I mean, everyone's job is hard in some way, but like, I find it's, it's just agony and ecstasy. You know, it's just, there's always that point. And I, you think I would be able to handle it more gracefully, but there's always that point where I'm like, will this work? (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I would say that in terms of just the mechanics of 
like getting your foot in the door, right? Mm-hmm. I think that I think that the first thing, and it's, I realize that this advice is a bit of a catch twenty two, but to write something, you need to have written something, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I think it depends what kind of writing you want to do. I mean, I, I think this this advice is probably you know, it's different if you want to be a novelist or a poet or a screenwriter. And I don't know as much about those fields, but like, if you want to be a journalist or or a nonfiction writer, I mean, I think that, you know, it's helpful to have some clips, right? It's helpful to have articles that you've written so that if you query an editor, you can point to work that you've done. And I know that that seems hard. It's like, how do you get those if you haven't already gotten the chance to do them? I mean, I think that, first of all, we're lucky in the sense that in this day and age, there are so many different outlets that we can write for these days. And, you know, you could you could start by having your own blog, right? Mm-hmm. And you could be linking to your blog. And like, if, if those are... And also, I think that it just gets easier by doing it, right? Mm-hmm. The more that you can hone your craft writing, it's the same as anything, right? It's like, it's like exercising in theory. I don't know. Running just is still hard to me. So, (laughs) (laughs) but, but I think that, you know, trying to just hone your chops and well, how would I put this? Like, I would say the, you know, I think that the basic way that it works is you write an email to an editor and you say, Hey, I'm me. I am great for these reasons. And I would love to write for your publication a story about blank, right? Mm. And hopefully blank is, you've done your research, so you know that this publication tends to cover stories like blank. Mm-hmm. You've done your research, so you've maybe written a little paragraph, uh, a pitch basically saying why, you know, blank is this fascinating topic. You have to write about it right now. Maybe a little nod to how the story is going to take shape. Basically, a pitch can almost be like, the first paragraph to the story that will exist, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. you've got to hook the editor in the same way that you're going to hook the reader. You know, it helps, like I said, to be able to point to past work that you've done, but, you know, that could also take a lot of different forms, right? It doesn't necessarily have to have been an article you wrote for the New York Times. And, you know, I think that everyone everyone is is an expert in something, right? Everyone kind of has, like, a special germ of a perspective, of knowledge, of insight. And so it's just a matter of making someone else see that. (laughs) And I think that, you know, the other thing I've learned over the years is to like not be precious about my story ideas. Mm -hmm. Like I think that, I mean, that's a point about rejection, which is, it's hard and it still hurts. And, but I think, you know, when I was first pitching stories, I think I was really precious about every idea. And I would like, you know, spend like agonize over the pitch. I would get myself so excited about it. And I was like, oh my God, they should just send me the Pulitzer now. Like this is just (laughs) brilliant, you know? And then I would send it off and not get a response or no. And, you know, since then it's like the no can be no for so many different reasons that don't have to do with you. It could be no, they already did a story about that. They are planning to assign a story about that. It's just not the type of story they cover. The editor just doesn't think that that's a great idea, but that it could be the wrong story for that publication and you could take it somewhere else and, and, you know, get a yes. And I, that's definitely happened to me before. So do you ever either, well, report on stories or kind of really go down the line of interviewing people, spending time on a dig, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. Do you, do you have someone lined up who, you know, wants to take those stories before you really invest your time into doing them? Or do you just sometimes pursue it without knowing where it's going to go? Yeah, it depends. I mean, I think there are, there are some publications that 
basically will say, you know, hey, that sounds like an intriguing idea. Why don't you go report it and then send us a draft of the story and we'll let you know if we're interested. (laughs) And yes, there are definitely editors who will read a pitch and basically say, sounds interesting. Why don't you go do the research, write the story, send it to us, and then we'll decide. Mm -hmm. And they may decide no. Mm -hmm. Then there's editors who, maybe you send them a pitch and they're intrigued and they say, great, we're we're game. So you go out, you do the reporting, you you kind of have a commitment at the outset. Mm -hmm. But there's also (laughs) the situations where you have a commitment at the outset, you go out, you do the reporting, or maybe you don't even do the reporting. Maybe it falls through. Maybe the Mm -hmm. person you thought was going to be so excited to let you interview them says no, right? And and then maybe maybe you can't, it can't be salvaged. Or maybe you go out and you do the reporting and you write the story and you think it's great and you send it to your editor and they think it's terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, they're, unfortunately, like, you know, and maybe I'm a skeptical, superstitious person, but, you know, I, I, it's like not until I see it in print or do I see it published, do I believe that the story exists? Mm-hmm. You know, there's just... There's a lot of things that can happen along the way. And that is also frustrating and nerve wracking. And if anyone has advice on how to deal with that, I would love to hear it. I was going <laughs> to ask you for advice for my final question. You're the advice giver here. But no, I mean, Bianca, this has been amazing. I could chat to you all day. I probably will for another half hour after we hang up this call. But this has been so wonderful. I always like to wrap up with some advice. So what do you have to say to somebody who is really into something, maybe wants to write a book about it, maybe just wants to write an article about it, what's the first step that they should take? Mm, That's a great question, I think. I mean, I would say the first thing they should do is, I don't know if this is quite what you're asking, but I think, like, you know, if they, if someone has an idea that they're obsessed with, the first thing I would say to do is to just start researching it, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, start looking into it. Start seeing, you know, where it takes you. Start seeing whether you get sick of it after five minutes, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Start seeing whether maybe the book that you wanted to write has already been written before, or the article just came out last week, because that's going to make it a tougher sell. Not impossible, but maybe Mm -hmm. you have to change your angle a little bit. Maybe you start digging and you go off in a completely different direction. You find things that's even more fascinating to you. So I do think that... um, the beginning part is, it's like, I don't know, being a little dog on the hunt, right? Like you, you smell something and then you just start furiously digging to mm-hmm. see whether there's going to be some amazing thing that you find. And I also think, you know, don't be discouraged if, I mean, look, I think you really only need one person to say yes, right? I mean, of course, I should say, put this, I should put this, like, you really only need one yes, mm-hmm. right? And how you get to yes you can be very creative in pursuing that. You know, Mm -hmm. I know people who had visions for books that they were so passionate about that they spent years trying to get published and they went all these different avenues and then ultimately had to get really creative about how they got it published. But they got it published. Mm -hmm. They got a yes. And, you know, you don't, you don't need 17 yeses. Of course, it would, it feels great if you do, but I, you know, in my experience, I haven't had 17 people wanting to say yes to things that I've worked on. And, you know, the things have ended up like the, how do I put this? Like, you know, I had a story that 
I was really excited about that I pitched to a few different editors and I think I got a ton of no's. I finally got one yes. And that was a story that ended up being in the best American travel writing or whatever, you know, like won some award. It was great. And it's like, you never know. Right. But sometimes, you know, it's, it's a great idea. It's just a matter of finding the right home for it. Mm. And how you do that can just take a bit of creativity, but that's part of the work too. It is. And I think, yeah, that's, yeah. That is. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Start digging and don't give up. I think those are great, great pieces of advice. Bianca, you've been amazing. Before we all go have a glass of wine, or I might, 620 here, but slightly earlier where you are, so you might be not having one yet. Where can people learn more about you and find your work online? Yeah. So I'm B Bosker on Instagram and B Bosker on Twitter and BiancaBosker.com. And I was going to say, you know, I think I am not nearly as quick at responding to emails as I'd like to be. But, you know, it is, it can be really hard to figure out how you navigate your way through this. And so if people ever want to reach out those ways or over email, my emails on my website, I will do my best to respond and, you know, help and offer advice if I can. Or if you ever just, if people want to commiserate, I will say that being a writer is wonderful, but it can be lonely sometimes, right? You spend a lot of time alone at your computer too. And so I always love commiserating with people about the writing process and how, again, wonderful and agonizing it is at the same time. <laughs> and I will say that she is 100% not lying because I reached out to you totally cold online after reading your book and being like, bah, I love this book. I'm writing a book. Help. And you were so generous with your time. And I'm so grateful to have you in my life. I'm so grateful to have you on my podcast. So thank thank you you. so much for being part of it today. Oh, likewise. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me. And thank you again for, you know, doing your own reporting to um, share so many great stories with us. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to Quit Your Day Job. We are a Zcast production and want to send huge thanks to the whole Zibby Books team for their support. Find me on Instagram at Alicia F. Miranda. I would love to hear what you thought about the episode, future jobs you want me to profile, or the burning questions you think I should ask my upcoming guests. And if you decide to quit your day job, let me know. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.